Hello and welcome back to episode 6 of Alpha and Vet. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Fight Club. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, we can't. We can't. Why not? We're right. You can't talk about it. It's Why? literally the first and second rule of Fight Club. Uh, did you? Right. I forgot. Sam didn't watch the movie today. He didn't watch it. Yes, I did. This film came out in, I think, 1999? 1999. It's a massive phenomenon. This this movie, I mean, David Fincher's one of the best American filmmakers. Yeah, Certainly. everyone has heard of Fight Club. Gone Girl is incredibly popular. And uh, The Social Network, which came out in yeah. 2010? We actually, yes, that came out in 2010. We actually just rewatched that. Uh, both of us rewatched it. Uh, and it's, uh, it's really, it's so good. Yeah, just an amazing, amazingly told uh, Shakespearean-level tragedy of uh, the rise of Mark Zuckerberg and, and social media. Very, very well written, too. Probably my favorite David Fincher film. Yeah, the social I can network. see why. You've seen this film twice, right? This is your, this was your second time watching this it? This was my second watch. I think, was it your second watch, too? Yeah. Or third? This is my second time watching this movie. I watched it uh, when I was a senior in high school, I believe. And I I really had a lot of positive takeaways that I thought it was great. And there's there's a bit of a, a trend I, I saw um, on on Letterboxd in particular of people revisiting this film throughout their life and having different takeaways each time. Yeah. Which I thought was, was funny because it definitely sort of reflects my experience with it. Yeah. Uh... David Fincher, he has a brand new movie out. Yeah, uh, I was straight to Netflix, I believe. It's called the The Killer, starring Michael Fassbender. Yes, and we're, we're both very excited to watch that. Another reason I I have always found Fincher's work really interesting is it's so eclectic. He's got so many different genres and styles of movies. It's almost hard to track his like directorial uh, journey per se, mm. uh, because it's 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 so varied from project to project. Right. Not, but there is uh, overlap there in terms of, of there is overlap. Like, I mean, yeah, very dark, depressing, contemplative, slow burns. I feel like for the most part. Yeah, I agree, and also like thematic overlap, sort of discussing the effect of capitalism uh, in definitely the social network, and also in in this film, uh, gender commentary, obviously, yeah. uh, and the and then also you know sociopathic anarchy. Uh, as anarchy as justice uh, right. with, with this and also Kevin Spacey's character in Seven, uh, okay. which you haven't seen. True. Yeah, I, I, he, he, you tell me, I guess, does he like to write at least one character who's a little bit of a psychopath? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's definitely recurring uh, character archetype mm-hmm. in his movies. You yeah. talk about like John Doe in Seven, Brad Pitt's character, Tyler Durden in this. Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> definitely a sociopath yeah uh and a narcissist yes um and and rosamund pike's character amy dunn in in gone girl yeah and the new michael fassbender role as well i believe right. i mean he's a he's a okay. hitman. I, I don't know much about that movie he's yet. a hitman yeah so yeah definitely characters that are not all there <laughs> right and but they're they're fascinating to watch at the same time so uh speaking of that Let's hear a little bit about our uh, main characters in the plot summary. Uh, so in this plot summary, there's going to be major spoilers for this film. Very famous for its plot twist. 
So I would, any intention of watching this, listen to this podcast after you watch this. Yeah, please go watch uh, Fight Club right now. We are first introduced to the unnamed narrator, who has a very normal life working for a car company in the recall department. The narrator, an insomniac who is dissatisfied with everything about his monotonous life, begins attending support groups for people with problems that include alcoholism, cancer, and other diseases. This instantly cures his insomnia. These meetings are disrupted for him when another imposter, Marla Singer, joins the same groups. The narrator sees Marla as a reflection of himself engaging in this unethical lifestyle, and he arranges for them to attend different sessions, to which she reluctantly agrees. On a return flight from uh, a business trip, the narrator meets apparent soap salesman Tyler Durden, who criticizes his capitalistic lifestyle. Later that evening, a massive explosion destroys the narrator's apartment, causing him to call Tyler and move in with him in his decrepit house. Through their budding friendship, they start an underground fight club in a bar basement. Several days later, Tyler saves Marla from an overdose uh, and initiates a sexual relationship with her. The narrator is shocked and annoyed to see uh, Marla again, and he remains cold and distant from her. As Fight Club grows rapidly, the narrator decides to quit his job right after blackmailing his boss to continue paying his salary. One of the new members is one of the narrator's friends from a cancer support group, Bob. Tyler escalates Fight Club into Project Mayhem, committing acts of vandalism intended to disrupt social order. Feeling left out, the narrator confronts Tyler about the project. Tyler admits that he was the one who blew up the narrator's apartment and disappears. Bob is shot and killed by police while on a mission for Project Mayhem, and the narrator attempts to disassemble the club. Discovering its nationwide reach and being called Tyler Durden by Marla and members of the project, the narrator realizes that he and Tyler are split personalities. He is Tyler Durden. Mm. The narrator learns that Tyler plans to blow up 11 skyscrapers of consumer credit companies in order to erase the debt records. He warns Marla and attempts to send her away in a bus, then goes to police, where he learns that many officers are Project Mayhem members. After narrowly escaping attempts from members to stop him, the narrator rushes to one of the skyscrapers and disables one of the bombs. Tyler violently attacks him and takes him to the top floor of the skyscraper. Accepting that he is Tyler, the narrator shoots himself in the head. This effectively kills Tyler, while the bullet passes through the narrator's cheek. Marla is brought to the narrator's side by project members, and the two hold hands while watching the other skyscrapers collapse. I think we both probably have a lot to uh, unpack from this movie. Let's start simple. Let's start with sort of the more technical aspects. I thought the mood was dark. We're in the city, which I, th- I think is supposed to be somewhere in Delaware. Why did I just assume it was New York City? I don't. Did they did they say Delaware? I don't think they do, but I, I looked it up and I, I think it said that, but I, I could be wrong. Interesting. No, that's that's good to know. I probably purposely ambiguous location. Right. Yeah. Just just to kind of show that it could be anywhere in. Especially considering US. what happens at the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> I found the sort of the cinematography and the whole look of this of the mysterious city they're in to be gritty, but not necessarily dark like a lot of movies will make cities at night the 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 colors definitely there but the the, so is the grit it sort of has this like surrealist dreamlike uh or almost nightmare like feel i thought in a lot of nightmare like is a very very good way to put it it's uh it's very dirty it is the way i interpret it unique yeah it definitely has like a a neo-noir vibe yeah it definitely feels very very alive i mean such innovative editing you know it's it's so fast-paced right i mean it's david fincher so like 
Yeah, I, I mean, right from right from the beginning, he he was just had such a a tour command over his work. The the editing style is so back and forth and snappy, and I I I felt like we were really being like pulled through what uh, the main character, the narrator, is, is seeing in his mind. It, it feels like we're in his mind and we're being ripped through the confusing and dizzying way he's seeing uh, everything and slowly losing his sanity. Very, very surrealist in terms of the visuals, but also in terms of the plot, in terms of yeah. the plot. Yeah, um, it matches the plot very well, I think. It's it's exaggerated. Uh, it's a satire. A satirical comment on on the disastrous effect of commercialism on society. Uh, I also wanted to mention David Fincher. He came from a music video background, actually, as a oh, young really? as a young up and coming guy trying to make it in the industry. He created, and I I kind of felt that influence watching this movie, even more so than, than his more recent films. Yeah, I I totally can see that. I, I I didn't know about the music video background thing, but I could totally see how uh, the sets or the locations used in this movie could be like straight out of a hip hop rap music video. Exactly. Very punk rock. Yes, it is very punk. I guess the way you could describe the cinematography is is cool. Very 90s. It is very 90s. What what was your take on Marla? Helena Bonham Carter does a lot of the work giving that character the liveliness and energy that she Yeah, you know, I I think she, she's she's a great actress. Um I I think when she's first introduced and we still see the narrator as this sane normal guy for the most part, she's introduced as like the crazy one who's sort of losing it and and is spontaneous and wild but slowly over time and by the end of the film she ends up being like probably the most sane person yeah of the main cast so she's yeah. this really cool transformation where she doesn't really change herself but the context around her changes so much that she ends up being the most normal person that's really interesting uh and subverting expectations in yes. terms of character building is a big part of fincher's mo and also satires as a whole yeah i guess i think in terms of the fact that this was satirizing misogyny and hypermasculinity. I feel like it would have been nice for a female character to have more to do. I wish she had a little bit more of a storyline, maybe some more agency as a character. Right. She seemed a little bit plot devicey and not really right. being a fully formed character. But like I said, uh, Helena Bottom Carter does a, a really good job of that character, making her fully fleshed out, even though I don't think yeah. she is. Also very sexualized. Yeah. But okay, yes, I, I do think that she's sexualized, but I feel like she she almost holds the power throughout the movie. I, I feel like it's not done in a shameful way. It's done in a more powerful way in terms of her. Okay. Yeah, and more of a feminist take on her character. I, I think so. Yeah, no, I definitely liked the character. I just wanted to see more of her. Right, yeah. I mean, she's, she's really fun to watch. So Tyler, as a character, his, his philosophy mm-hmm. that, you know, in a capitalist society, we become materialist. The importance of, yes. of possessions, of owning things, supersedes the importance of the individual. Right, and it's revealed that he blows up the narrator's apartment to help him see that, destroys his possessions. That's, right. That really starts the narrator's journey. And that idea is not without merit, obviously. That's a valid right. critique really of commercialism. Point. And that's what a lot of people take away from this movie as like yeah. the powerful message behind it. Right. But he's also, he's the villain. <laughs> yes. Um, We'll get, we'll get we'll get there. He talks about how we're all encouraged to be good consumers, kind of working within this system, yeah. earn more money to spend on material goods, and it's just like uh, a relentless cycle. Mm-hmm. And then what complicates it, obviously, and makes his character morally um, ambiguous or immoral yeah. in the end. He conflates this kind of loss of individuality because of capitalism 
with uh, his perceived loss of masculinity or, or this loss of traditional ideas of macho masculinity in society right so so he, so you're saying tyler is blaming the, a lot of the issues of the materialism on the a loss of masculinity it seems like he's conflating those two ideas and, and there's that line about how their generation raised by women i don't think another woman is what we need right so there's just that misogynist <laughs> yeah. it sounds like a trump voter in 2016 element to it. it it does sound and then and then it evolves into fascism it, yeah it does evolve very quickly but yeah, basically, he's, he tries to pin his, his lack of agency in life, and a lot of people clearly share this opinion, on these on these social structures instead of, you know, going to, to therapy and first working on making yeah. changes yeah. in his, no, I think that's what it is. I think his own life. I think, he, I think he's blaming society on his own personal dissatisfaction with his life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, obviously, this, this philosophy kind of spreads through these underground network of, of right. fight clubs. And shows that there are lots of men just like him. And then, as we were just saying, it, it quickly and, um, in my opinion, unrealistically, unrealistically develops into uh, populist anarchy, leading this, this group of, of angry men into causing anti-government destruction and mayhem uh, like the Joker. Yeah. Weirdly, he's sort of libertarian and authoritarian, clearly against government policies, and then he also quickly develops his own fascist leadership structure, basically like a cult with him at the top. So he's paradoxical in that sense. He's a very hypocritical character. The reason they start this group is to reject authority, but then they end, they end up following the ultimate authority of Tyler. And, and they, they quite literally become like servants and mindless drones of Tyler. It's satire, right? So it's self-aware. The entire concept of yeah. the narrator having two personalities... Mm -hmm. immediately portrays Tyler as as the antagonist of the movie. He's the villain. He, yeah. unlike something like Todd Phillips' Joker, which doesn't necessarily portray anarchy as not the solution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, multiple personality is a bit of a, a trope at this point right. in, in films. I mean, it's the second Al film bet movie to do that <laughs> right. after Dress to Kill. True. Yeah, that, that's a really good comparison. But I do uh, think it works in, the, in this movie. You do? I do, yeah. I and it does not in Dress to Kill. For a few reasons. Um, and I think it's strange that people could watch this and not see Tyler's philosophy as right. and I think antagonistic so. and, and immoral, which I think a lot of a lot of fans of this movie do come away. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. I think there are a lot there's there's definitely a community of probably particularly teenage boys yeah. who who probably glorify Tyler, which is I agree is not the message. It starts out with, with Tyler sort of being this figure in Daenerys' life of um, chaotic good and uh, the the quest for a better life. And so as a result, the narrator sees him as, uh, as I think we just said, many fans for some reason also do, which is like the, this better version of himself and somebody he wants to become. Uh, but then I think the whole message of pretty much the second half of the movie is that Tyler, the more we get to know him, is ultimately just this like simple-minded and honestly immature man who is promoting unrealistic but also ultimately harmful uh, messages to uh, the narrator. I'm 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 not sure how somebody could watch this to the end and see what Fight Club becomes and still and still take it as as a good thing because they're like I said everyone in the club is just completely subservient and and stupid honestly by the end of the movie the, having that ta that philosophical takeaway is very confusing to me so uh, here's kind of my thing about why I don't think it totally works in the end I I feel like. Effective satires by nature, they exaggerate real-world problems and social dynamics. But I feel like they have to maintain some level of, of like, logic 
Okay. I, I just don't buy a bunch of, you know, depressed, quote, emasculated men mm-hmm. who who are, you know, trying to reclaim their identity that they feel like they, they are lacking in modern society. Immediately jumping onto the bandwagon of this clearly mentally ill. I mean, they see him talking to himself yeah. more than one time. Uh, anarchist leader. And then becoming these mindless, nameless servants like you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, I get the, the message, but like, I think the lack of logic there, I struggled with. Right. I, okay. I, I think that's where we maybe disagree. I, I absolutely agree that this was intentionally a satire. Um, but I, I, I think, I actually think it does have some logic. I, and I think that the idea of, of these men being so desperate to, to regain I suppose loss of masculinity is something that we we do see. I, I think I think the idea of, of men trying to regain their masculinity by following this supposed alpha male is very effective. I mean, look at uh, Andrew Tate, Alex Jones, and and Donald Trump. I mean, people are becoming becoming these these mindless drones just to support this one man who says he has the, all the answers to a better society that supposedly existed at one point. Even though it is a satire, it makes a good point by the end of the movie because uh, the narrator realizes he's losing control of Tyler, even though they're the same person. And then over time, he he no longer idolizes him, and he begins to uh, fully detest him. And that's, I think, the one sort of redeeming part of the satire in terms of message. In the fact that Tyler is, in in theory, defeated at the exactly. end of the yeah. movie. Yeah, he, um, like he redeems. T- t- I think the narrator redeems himself by the end. I guess I also wanted to know your take on why Tyler, why he wins in terms of the fact that. The bombs do go off, and that the the buildings are destroyed. Yeah, you're right. I, I guess end. I guess ultimately Tyler does succeed in his at least in ten out of eleven buildings uh, being exploded. He does succeed in that part of the mission, but and I, I like the ending. I mean, I like the shot. I like <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful final shot. Very famous. Uh, I know I had seen it even before watching this, but uh, but, but it's okay. a little weird. It, it is weird. I think maybe the answer to that is maybe it shows that even though he did redeem himself. He, he he's already gone so far that there are some things that he can't undo and just have to be consequences of that part of his personality that got way out of hand. Yeah. So I think maybe it's more powerful that, that the narrator does not completely get away without consequence from his wrongdoings. Yeah, I could see that. That's interesting. Or it's just a cool shot. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people that read this movie as, a, I guess, a, a gay allegory, there's like homoerotic themes, which I don't think that we're right. necessarily... I mean, we're not saying that that's not there. I just don't think it really jumped out at me on this watch. Yeah, me neither. I know that, um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of other podcasts that have probably talked about this movie and are more equipped to talk about, you know, the intersection of uh, homoeroticism and hypermasculinity, because I'm sure there is. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of podcasts about this in general. Um, and I did, in my brief research, I did uh, see that the author of, the, the original book this is based off of, it's based off of a book, mm-hmm. uh, is gay. And he, I think he's uh, made some comments about how that element is yeah. there uh, and how he kind of wrote nature of the, of the story to be allegorical in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess on that note, I, I think there was one scene I remember where they were both in the bathroom together and Tyler is just casually sitting in the bathtub yeah. while the narrator is sitting next to him and they're just talking. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I don't think either of us have a whole lot to say about about that but we're also not ignoring the fact that maybe it's there because it might be for sure i mean that's a big part of his uh tyler's philosophy right the men are being emasculated and 
What does he say like that? Why do yeah. we as men, hunter-gatherers, know about uh, yeah, fashion or something like that? Yeah. So that's a big element of it. Right. There's also this motif of testicles being removed. Yeah, I guess I never Did you ever notice that? that? Yeah. Um, I never thought about that in relation to the, the message. Yeah, I mean, the the testicular cancer support right. group at the beginning of the movie. And then yeah. also they threatened to cut off his... Yeah, I mean, they threatened to cut off one guy's, and then later on, the narrators. The narrator. police station. Right, exactly. I guess so, it's because the group just views that emasculation as, like, the worst possible thing that can happen to you. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Which is kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> and... I mean, the script is is very very clever. I mean, yeah. once you know the twist and you go back and rewatch it, there's a ton of things that you can pick up on. Yeah, I mean, I, I was saying that I, I liked this this watch better than than my first watch just because I knew it was going to happen, I, and I could pick up on all those little things that Ock uh, mentioned. Yeah, like when she says, "Who are you talking to?" Right. To yeah. Brad Pitt. Yeah. And then she makes like this comment about how uh, Edward Norton dances all night and then runs away or some kind of statement like that. Right. Even though he does not think that he is sleeping with her at that point in the movie. Right. And there's a few more things it's, like it's, it's very cleverly done. Actually. There's a few more things like that. But yeah, it's definitely more more revealing on the second watch. Very well very well structured movie. Yes. The whole thing about the film reels, he like splices subliminal messages into children's films. That was, that was just weird. I don't, I don't really get what they were trying to put down with that. I thought maybe it was a commentary on overdramatic conspiracy theories about potential subliminal messages in uh, in children's films, but also kind of a maybe a callback to at the beginning of the movie when they show quick splices of Brad Pitt's character at the right. beginning. Um, there's that too. I don't know if you want to talk about this, but there's one... The, the, the whole house sequence where he first moves in with Tyler and they're living in this house together and just messing around all day, every day. And he's sort of saying, like, like he, he says how decrepit it is. He complains about that. But it's also very clear that he's living out his, his, like, fantasy of a perfect life now with Tyler. And he says, like, I, I can't get married. I'm a 30-year-old boy. Wait, well, that's what they all are. Right. That's so, what that's... So, so what's your opinion on that, that they, they're all saying they want to be masculine and they also want to be not grown up? His whole character is very hypocritical. That was that was my main takeaway. Okay. I mean, everything about him is about the narrator, about Tyler Durden. Mm-hmm. Well, well, the narrator says the thirty-year-old boy thing, and he ends up being Tyler Durden. Right. Well, they feel like they're uh, like they were never raised right. Maybe it's a commentary on that because that's that's part of the conversation with the bathtub where they're like complaining about how they were raised. They were raised by by women. They right. say they were raised by women, which was an interesting comment to me. I wonder if there was uh, an increase in single mothers in like the sixties and seventies right. because of uh, a rise of feminist feminist attitude. Right. That that's that was my take. Yeah. I, I thought maybe it's because there was some war maybe at first, but I don't think that tie, that lines up. Vietnam War. It could have been Vietnam. Yeah. It could have been a Vietnam reference. Uh, but but, uh, but maybe the boy thing was just referencing that they feel like the fact that they had single mothers. They, they were somehow failed to be brought up correctly. Yeah, exactly. They feel emasculated. Yeah. Also, the whole framework of, of rules was interesting to me. The fact that they're rebelling against society's rules and that they immediately create their own. Very strict <laughs> set of rules. Very very strict set of rules. I think that's that's another key part of the, the hypocrisy. That I mean, yeah. we talked about that, but yeah. especially in Project Mayhem when they're not allowed to question their... Uh, their fascist leader. Mm-hmm. Other thing I caught was the fact that they lived on Paper Street. Mm-hmm. That made me think of money. 
Oh. One of the film's principal commentaries is on commerce and commercialism. The fact that they live on Paper Street. Yeah. Kind of diminishing the role of money as just paper. I don't know. There was a, there's definitely some irony in there. Yeah. That yeah. And and also that the fact that they were surrounded by all these like old abandoned mills. They're just like surrounded by like the the, the carcasses of capitalism, sort of. Mm, I like that. What, was there a lot of mill? A lot of abandoned, abandoned mills? Like surrounded by abandoned paper mills or something? Paper mills. Or something like that. Paper street, paper mill. Yeah, I don't know. I definitely think that that was intentional because they'd show close ups, a close up, at least one close up of the street sign. Yeah. 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 So this was your, this was both of our second watches. What did you think? I am pretty sure that I didn't like the movie as much as when I watched it the first time. I think I got more out of it the first time I, I watched it. But I mean, this is a it's a cinematic landmark i mean it it changed the way i think this movie probably got a lot of people into movies mm-hmm. uh just because just just how interesting uh at least it appears to be um and i think i think you convinced me that mm, a lot of what fincher and the screenwriter jim lewis and then the the author of the book chuck palarnik was definitely more interesting than i gave it credit for uh, on this watch but I don't know. I just I don't I don't love it as much as I used to. I think that's fair. But I still think it's really good, and I'll probably give it uh, four to five stars. I don't know. There's just too uh, many too many. I mean, just the style, the look, yeah. the, the the at least attempt at tackling relevant social themes. It's, it's a good movie. Yeah, definitely a good movie. Um, I was having a hard time figuring out where is my mind on this movie, but that's a pun uh, in reference to the final song. Where is my mind? Yeah, that's where is my mine i liked it good i liked it yeah i i also liked it i think it's i i actually i saw this movie for the first time just like in the spring actually of this year and i i liked it then i i feel like i, I didn't quite get the overall message then or, or the satire that's not to, that's not to say i uh, sort of bought into what uh, tyler was doing as a good thing but with the hindsight of of already seeing it on this watch, I definitely got more out of what what David Fincher and the writers and uh, and the and the other writer was trying to to put down here, and I, I really enjoyed it. And also, I think I, I like movies more when I can fully understand them from the beginning. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, rewatching movies is one of the best things you can do in terms of appreciating yeah. them as art form because the best movies have a lot of layers that only reveal themselves to you uh on rewatch and i think this is definitely one of them yeah and and like you said it's it's also so visually interesting and engaging and yeah and just fun to watch it is it is uh and i am excited to to revisit it i get probably every few years honestly yeah. uh it's one of those one of those movies that i feel like you can just throw on and yeah and enjoy it i don't think it's a brilliant film i think it's a very well made film yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think I, I would also give it uh, four out of five stars. Although I do think, I mean, it's Letter, Letterbox has a limited star rating. I think it's hard right. to rate something out of 10. True. But then also, I don't know what they would bump it up to. Maybe 20? 20 stars? Well, 10 stars oh, with half. halves. Yeah, yeah I, but like, what's the difference between a six and a six and a half, you know? I don't know, because I probably would give this, I'd probably give this a 7.5 instead of an 8. But I don't want to give it a 3.5 because that's a 7. You know what I mean? Right. For some yeah. movies, I feel like that would help. Is, yeah. All right. 
Maybe I should give it the option. For our uh, guest reviews this week, Alec has chosen several uh, from Letterboxd, from fans, and then uh, from our critics as well. This first one is from Demi Adajoigbi, who is someone who I follow. I think he he writes for TV. He uh, is a pretty prolific Letterboxd reviewer, and he gave it four and a half out of five stars and said, quote, maybe my first time watching it with the full knowledge that it's a comedy. Rocks. Still think the end is very silly and something of a cop-out, but it rocks. Wouldn't work without Brad Pitt's unbelievable performance. So funny to think that Nolan did Tyler Durden with the Joker and turned out another performance so good that now every villain is just an attempt to be these guys. Can't blame them. <laughs> uh, that kind of mentioned a few things that we referenced in our analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Durden's anarchy philosophy uh, comparing with the Joker. Right. And, and also slightly criticizing the ending. Yeah, it's simple, but it's... If an, if an ending makes makes you feel good, then it's good. You know, it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. So, honestly, with, <laughs> you don't think it, I, with I the think... music and the visuals and the that that line, like even if we didn't fully get it, I I personally love that ending. I don't know if I agree with that exactly. <laughs> I think a movie needs to be uh, consistent in its message. But you did convince me earlier with your your oh, take on building, your yeah. take on the ending. Uh, so I think that it's more complicated than just the anarchists win. Yeah, definitely. Uh, because, like you said, it's a character study. It's about this one guy's journey. Yeah. This next one is from Yi Jan, who gave it five out of five stars. And they say, the films you watch end up watching you. Which is a reference to one of the more famous quotes from this movie, I think, which is the things you own end up uh, uh, owning you. Yeah. Uh, this is a bit of a longer one, but I thought it had some interesting points. Uh, slightly more critical uh, this is from Mike D'Angelo, who gave it three out of five stars and said, fascism for dummies. My objections were originally directed primarily at the big twist, which remains risable insofar as it involves the other members of what becomes Project Mayhem. Go beat yourself up in a parking lot and see if the bruisers exiting the bar latch onto you as the leader of a movement. Uh, a dozen years later, however, and I admit that having since read some Palahonik might be a factor here, the whole damn movie seems kind of stupid, really. Fincher keeps everything moving so briskly that the omnipresent spoon-feeding narration never becomes overbearing, but that technical facility is now the only thing preventing me from wondering whether I'm watching Morgan Spurlock's first stab at narrative. Fight Club depicts emotional disaffection in the same smirky, wise-ass, superficial way that supersize me critiques poor eating habits. Um, and while it is utterly ferocious on the touchy-feely culture of self-improvement, per Theo... That's like being utterly ferocious on 9-11 truthers. You might as well walk around a nursery ward knocking newborns unconscious with a mallet. Also, also, there are precisely two women in this movie, one of whom exists only to misdirect the audience. Helena Bottom Carter does a commendable job of disguising Marla's complete lack of an identity, uh, which we disagreed with, obviously. Mm-hmm. While the other gets ridiculed for sexual desire. As, that's a reference to the uh, woman who has cancer. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The only other woman, woman character in the movie. Way to turn a potentially affecting and realistic detail into a cheap gag. Hate to tar the movie with its own brush, but what it mostly is is clever. Seems to have worked out for it. <laughs> this guy is has a really, I would say really he's got a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. Um, wow. I have partial agreement with some of his points, including the lack of strong female characters in the movie, which I think is... Uh, I mean, to be fair, there's, there's only like two main characters. Or three, and one of them is a woman. 
Yeah, but for a movie that's critiquing hyper masculinity uh, and the danger of uh, yeah, no, you're right of how fascism can can be created. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it would. I think if this movie was made today, there would be more of an effort to counterbalance it. Yeah, but um, I think that has some merit. I don't think I criticize the movie's lack of subtlety like he does. Right. I don't think that's something that the movie's going for. Right, because like you said, it's a satire. It's supposed to be very not surreal. supposed to be subtle. It's very surreal. Yeah, <laughs> the point about how it's weird that people uh, there's a few letterbox reviews that I saw that made fun of this that those men just went in and joined him after seeing him beating himself up in the parking lot. Right, <laughs> which that's I commented on in my analysis why they would just join this mentally ill person so willingly. <laughs> but you you found it. Uh, at least believable in a sense. Yeah. But let's move on to the critic reviews now. This first one is from Carrie Rickley. She gave it three out of four stars. She said, Blistering, hallucinatory, often brilliant. The film by David Fincher is a combination punch of social satire and sociopathology. I And I, I think that's, those last few words are, are very true, the uh, social satire and, and sociopathology. Like I said, I feel like something that is very important to this movie is that uh, the narrator is very clearly mentally ill. <laughs> and I feel like that's something that maybe some people who idolize Tyler Durden don't get. Patrick Z. McGavin uh, said that the movie demands a, a certain attention and is not easily dismissed, but there's something deeply unsettling about a work that uncritically espouses br- brutality as a function of alienation and nonconformity. I, I, I think that's an an interesting one but i don't think the movie uh supports brutality as a function of alienation right yeah i, I mean the, the movie definitely shows brutality as a and violence as a, a solution to alienation and nonconformity but i wouldn't say it, it promotes it and if anything it's making it it's making fun of it right so i don't know if patrick misinterpreted the movie or if he's more referencing uh there's the the fan base yeah. but he's saying that the work the work is what supports this notion, which I don't think is accurate. So I think we just disagree with his uh, reading on the film. Yeah. This is from Roger Moore from Movie Nation, who gave this two out of four stars. He says, Cult films are seldom great films. They just connect with a corner of the audience more intensely than was intended, elevating their status. That's Fight Club. And appealing to the wrong sort of cult just makes that clearer. So he, he has sort of a mixed 50% positive 50% negative uh, review and he's also referencing what we've been talking about where a lot of the audience is I guess there's no such thing as misinterpreting misinterpreting something but taking it in a way that is maybe what the film is making fun of missing the point entirely right so now it's time for words of the week uh, this is where we pick five words each, uh, all starting with the letter of the week, which obviously this week with Fight Club, it's F, and it's just the first words that sort of come to mind or relate to the movie in any way. So I'll go first. My first word is funky, since like we said, it has this sort of, the cinematography has this sort of flashy, quirky, gritty look to it, and it's the city that feels very uh, alive and active. Yeah. It's strange. Like a funky 90s music video. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my first word is frenetic, which is similar, 
that is like fast and, and energetic, mm-hmm. uh, uncontrolled in a way, which just references the, the pace of the movie and the editing style. My next word is also relating to the uh, cinematography mostly, but I guess also sort of the plot and the acting, since it is so bombastic, which is one of my words from the second episode. Uh, so my word is, my second word is flashy. So this is a first on Al Film Bet. Sam has taken my word. Oh. <laughs> that was actually my next word. Okay, sorry. <laughs> which means I'm going to be the one to have to come up with the other one. <laughs> um, but for now, uh, my second word is going to be uh, frisky. Oh. <laughs> uh, because the film definitely has this this uh, sexual energy throughout, mm. especially towards the middle of the film. But there's... Uh, sensual quality to the movie mm-hmm. that's why i went with frisky <laughs> so my next word is fast i feel like not necessarily the overall plot but definitely the the, the pacing of every of each individual scene is very fast paced and there's always a lot happening and you never know what to expect also there's a lot of running in this movie the third word that i'm going to go with is um fashion because mm-hmm. i definitely I definitely paid close attention to uh, the costume design on this watch. Yeah, that's a great thing to notice. I uh, I especially noticed Helena Bonham Carter's wardrobe and Brad Pitt. His got a lot of iconic, a lot of iconic outfits in this movie. Yeah, that uh, I'm sure have been worn as Halloween costumes for years and years. Yeah. Also, I I think that uh, uh, the narrator Edward Norton's character's his final look is so iconic, uh, where he's wearing like the uh like the boxers and holding the papers and the i don't know but i don't know it's just it's a very iconic look yeah my next word is pretty simple it's fighting because a lot of fighting takes place as the title suggests yes that is a major element of the movie (laughs) okay so my second to last one is going to be filthy because the movie is definitely has that aesthetic yeah between tyler durden's disgusting decrepit house Mm mm-hmm that's a lot of D words. Uh, it was two weeks ago. And the underground club and all, uh, mo- pretty much every set is just, you're right, most it's just purposely gross and, and Yeah, dirty. especially all the scenes in the, in the rotting house. In the rotting house, yeah. There's some really disgusting parts of that. Yeah, the movie just has a very dirty element. And uh, I think there was a letterbox review that was like, all these key people just need to take a shower. <laughs> yeah. Even though he does take a bath. In the gross, rusty water. Yeah, that's yeah. true. My final word is flip because of the flipping split personalities of the narrator and Tyler Durden, which is obviously a major, which is the center point of the plot of this movie. Uh, and my last word is going to be fascism because uh, the way that Tyler Durden conducts his project mayhem, uh, it's very cult of personality, uh, the way that they're just mindless drones to his every whim he's very uh dictator like which kind of goes against his libertarian anti-government beliefs yeah which is interesting but yeah that's good it's a good fascism yeah that's a good good place to end words of the week yes so yeah that was uh that was us revisiting a iconic cinematic uh, milestone that is David Fincher's Fight Club. Um, and 
it was a lot of fun talking about it. Yeah, it was. This was it was refreshing to finally watch a, a a good movie that both of us enjoyed. Yeah, and we're finally dipping into uh, some really popular modern uh, classics. Yeah, and I don't know if our next one is technically a, a old enough to be considered a classic yet, but it's certainly popular and yes. uh, and famous within the the style or, or genre, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> next week we're going to be going into uh, the world of superhero movies. Everybody, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, directed by James Gunn. So uh, definitely come back for that. And as always, if you have any uh, recommendations or comments or a word of the week, uh, you can send it to our email at alfilmbet at gmail.com. And also, if you're listening on Spotify, we have a uh, response box and a uh, poll question for each episode. So go down and answer that. Yeah. So thank you for watching. Don't forget the first two rules of Fight Club. And we will see you later. What is Tyler going to do with us? We just broke the rule. <laughs> He's gonna cut out the rest. <laughs>